Hey, Josh. Hey, Nate. Hey, this week? I'm a little under the weather. You can probably hear it in my voice, but uh, got lots of sleep last night, and uh, Advil cold and sinus is uh, working miracles, so life is good. Nice. How are you? Nice. I'm pretty good. Uh, sun's out here. It's warmed up a bit. Dog walk was one of those ones where I was out dressed dressed for cold, but came back sweating by the end of it. So Nice. Nice. <laughs> Well, uh, today we have a special guest. Uh, we have uh, Emil Shore here with us. I've known about Emil for, I don't know, it's probably been at least five years or so because he used to host a podcast that was under the Chili Piper brand, uh, Chili Piper before they became the Chili Piper that everyone knows today. But um, And Emil has done, you know, he was a, a, a an expert in, you know, SEO and demand gen and all kinds of other interesting things. It was honestly one of my favorite podcasts. I kept bugging him on Twitter to when are you going to start another podcast? And, um, but yeah, so welcome Emil. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me on guys. Yeah. Josh you used to send me, I think, I don't know, once a quarter, like when are you going to start <laughs> another podcast, please? You were like my, my one loyal and favorited listener. So thank you, man. Really? Just the one? That's it? <laughs> I mean, we had the listener, but you you were like the only person who like reached out and was like, man, I love your show. Please bring it back. So thank you, man. You know, you know, a lot of people don't do that. They don't reach out. So I appreciate it. That's true. We've, we've had the similar effect. I think we tried to do a, Nate didn't, it was like maybe after 20 episodes or so, we put out a little survey and actually made it super simple, like, like type form. Like you just need to, the links were in the show notes. You just needed to like, you know, press a press multi-select on little answers. And we got how many responses? Nick? Oh, like two. And I think, you know, three of them were us testing it. <laughs> and the, and, and, and some of them were like a front, a one friend. There was like a one friend. You did have one or two. We've had, we oh, both yes. have one or two friends that are similar. Like, Hey, really love that. This is really interesting. It's like, okay. Yeah. Eh, it's okay. We get to talk and hang out. That's about the, the important part. Yeah. Yeah. So Emil, um, so since you left, uh, Chili Piper and the podcast where, where get us up to speed, what you're up to now. Yeah. So after Chili Piper, I actually left the world of SaaS and went to a company called Roofstock, which, uh, at the time is a marketplace for buyers and sellers to transact single family rental homes. I had started dabbling in, um, rental properties myself. And that's how I got introduced to Roofstock. I actually bought a property through the platform, became nice. a huge fan, ended up working there for a couple of years. Uh, and then about two years ago, I decided to branch off on my own and start an SEO agency. I've been doing some SEO consulting on the side, always wanted to do my own thing. And the agency just finally felt like the, the right first move as like, you know, going out on my own being self-employed. So it's been almost two years now. Cool. Cool. Is it just you or do you, have you now built up a, an army of, uh, of, of reps and whatnot? So it's, I kind of position it as like a consultancy slash agency. So it's, I do all strategy. I'm talking with clients doing, you know, all strategy stuff, but I have a team behind me of contractors, you know, editors, writers, link building that help me execute on operations. So a little bit of both. Okay. Cool. So what's, what's, what would be your, your sweet spot? Like what types of clients and customers are, are in your wheelhouse, would you say? Yeah. So I mainly end up working with 
SaaS companies and prop tech, fintech, just given those are like my two backgrounds. So it's, you know, by way of referral or people see, oh, this guy worked at Roofstock, you know, I just started this prop tech company. Uh, that just seems to be the two lanes I, I swim in at this point. And like, you know, where they are in their life, probably series A, maybe series B. I've done some work with um, seed and, you know, just bootstrap companies as well. But they're usually on the, the earlier side. They don't have the full team in place. They hire me to basically run the full playbook for them. So they're coming in, they, they've heard of SEO, they have, they might have some content marketing here and there, but essentially they're like, we've heard this SEO is the gift that keeps on giving, help us out, get, you know, put some frameworks in place, get our operations going, get, you know, help me, you know, plug in and, and figure this thing out and how, how they can start their, their footprint going. Is that about right? Yeah. So, you know, it's like there's a startup will hire a head of marketing. They're usually a team of one. Either they have some contractors or different agencies they work with. And it's like, it's a position I've been in myself. And so it's like, it's really nice to to work with them because they're juggling like every single marketing thing and to be able to come in and just take this off their hands. You know, I've been doing this for eight plus years and deliver results for them. It's, it's awesome. Cool. So, yeah, uh, as we talked about, I think before the show, Nate has tinkered around with some some SEO with his last project. Um, I'm always just, you know, holding SEO to the rooftops just based off of like, you know, that's where a lot of our leads come from for Referral mm-hmm. Rock. And yeah, so it's, you know, we're big, we're big fans. We know it's a, a great technique for SaaS. It's, it's, again, once you get, once you get going, I do think it's, the gift that keeps on giving if you're doing it right. Um, and, uh, but Nate, did you want to start with any questions from kind of from your standpoint? Cause I know you've dabbled with programmatic. You've done some other things from an SEO perspective that I feel like a lot of SaaS founders are, are looking for. Yeah, I guess like to me, the, the whole SEO thing is still a bit of a black box. Um, I don't have much experience other than what I've kind of played around with or like researched. Um, so I guess like as I'm kind of starting a new thing, I'm like, well, like what, what do I do when I start from nothing? Like what, what would you recommend to someone that's starting from, from zero? Um, what would be their first couple steps to kind of, you know, really make a dent in it? Oh, so if you're like starting a brand new site, it's tough, man. I always find that it's easier to start with SEO after you've gotten some traction and product market fit, right? If like SEO is the first thing you're going to do, it's just tough because your site has no authority. So literally you could just be publishing every single day, publishing new content, building links to the site, and you're not going to see anything for like six months mm-hmm. at, at a minimum. Uh, if you're in a more competitive space, that could be, that could be longer. So, you know, honestly for SaaS, I usually say like focus on other areas first, like get some product market fit, get some customers. And then I would say, Use use SEO to to pour fuel on the fire. Once you know you have something, I wouldn't start with it necessarily. Interesting. So, do you have like, did you have any other strategies kind of in mind that you would recommend to first time, uh, like a starting from scratch, or is that kind of a different conversation altogether? That's probably you know Josh has been through that. You know, I usually, I usually come <laughs> in startups I work at. They're they're post uh, they have product market fit, and so like 
I'm being brought in to, to pour gas on that fire, but you know, mm -hmm. Josh probably has better ideas for you in terms of like, all right, I'm at zero. What do I do? How do I get this out there and make sure I have a market for it and, and all that? Yeah. Yeah. So once you get like, you know, enough, you, you've got the product market fit, you've got a bit of people kind of coming through the pipeline. Um, yeah. What's, what's kind of your first couple moves to, to get things going? Yeah. So let's, let's assume, you know, you've been around for a year, you've gotten some, some organic mentions, right? You're not like this brand new site. Uh, at that point, it's really just links and content. You know, SEO people have this habit of making things sound really complicated with, uh, you know, eat and rank brain and all these special terms that people in the industry use to kind of just confuse people and make them sound, you know, really smart. But it's, uh, for me, it's just good content created by someone who knows what they're talking about. So let's say you, you run an accounting software, right? A lot of people will just hire a general writer and have them, you know, go research and regurgitate the same stuff on accounting. Uh, we take a little bit of a different approach. So we find someone who can write and has practiced accounting. And so we, we kind of always try to find someone who has that subject matter expertise and like actually knows the domain uh, to write in that. If it's not possible, right? Like I had a, I had a sale, uh, a client who they ran like a sales tool and it is insanely hard to find people who used to be in sales who can write. I don't like, yeah. I spent months trying to find this like magical unicorn on LinkedIn, on Upwork, <laughs> <laughs> like Twitter, could not find someone who used to like be used to do sales. sales and yeah, yeah, I can write now. So like there's some places where you just have to find good writers who can kind of fill in the gap, be more of like a journalist, you know, you, you leverage people inside the company who do have whatever, who can fill in that domain expertise and use that to feed the writer. Um, and then it's links. So, right. You know, yep. you're creating good content, good content. It's such like a, such a nebulous thing. Again, it's just <laughs> something that's written by somebody who knows what they're talking about. Um, and the links, that's really it. That's like, yeah, yeah. So when you say like good content, like you mean like stuff that people like, something that's useful, like that kind of thing, or is there like some more specific thing you mean by good? Uh, so this this is probably where maybe I am simplifying it, just because I've been doing it for so many years. You kind of just like mm. so. So my process is always we create a uh, a brief for a writer, which has become standard practice, right? It's basically an outline of here's what I want you to cover. And I think it does two things. It helps you as the SEO make sure everything is being covered that you want it. And then on the back end, you're not doing like this massive rewrite and editing. You know, you're getting back a product that you're like, okay, this is, this is the direction I wanted this to go. And so good, I would say, is like you just, whatever keyword you're going after, right? Looking at what's out there and figuring out what are the things I need to cover that everyone's covering, right? To be thorough. But then wh where are the gaps here, mm -hmm. right? Like simple things like even like versus an alternative articles, right? Like everyone does those X versus Y or, mm -hmm. you know, your competitor alternatives. Everyone kind of does them the same. You do a description, like you list them all out. You do a description. Maybe you include the pricing, whatever, right? And so yeah. whenever we do alternatives for clients, it's like, how do we just add in more things that the user would care about? Mm -hmm. That's going to just make this better, right? So yeah, we'll include pricing, description, blah, 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 blah. But like, 
we list out as many features as we can so that people can compare one against the other. We're grabbing, you know, what, are, what is everyone's G2 or Captera rating? So you can have that as a data point. Just trying yeah. to have like more unique content from everyone else that is going to be mm-hmm. helpful for this person in achieving whatever they came here to do. And another thing we'll do there is, you know, like include some type of buyer's guide. So here's what to look for in a good alternative. Look for these four things instead of just, you know, everyone will just come up with a list, but we try to like mm-hmm. tell them what they should look for and things like right. that. Well, that sounds like you're trying to be more useful to the end user, which, you know, at the end of the day should be rewarded by the search engine at some in some form, right? They should be able to pick up on that somehow. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's the goal. <laughs> That's the yeah. goal anyway. <laughs> Yeah, that so, one's like ultimately always like the good North Star, right? Because even if with all the like, Emil, you're talking about, you know, people talk about eat, right? They talk about all these different techniques and things like that. And the reality is if you align yourself with what, you know, Google is probably trying to do, which is like they want to make sure the user intent is met because that just means and they have more signal than anyone else. They have more reasons and more uh, data points to try to turn this all around. But if you're if you're aligned with that goal of what does the user want when they're searching for this? Does it want, oh yeah, I'm, I'm searching comparative software. Yeah, reviews would be nice. Like what else? Oh, a couple, um, yeah, yeah. Just like what are what are the features or maybe in this market, I don't care about how easy it is, but I want to care about how good the customer service are. And if you're thinking about it from a more specific standpoint from the problem to be solved, like ultimately Google should reward you. And uh, if it isn't, you know, you don't have enough authority. It is probably more about the links and the backlinks and the other pieces to to raise that. So they actually do value what you're saying, right? Right. You know, you just reminded me another thing that just on that same topic of like software reviews and things like that, because they convert so well in, for SaaS companies, you know, finding those categories. Let's say you list out 10 alternatives or 10, 10 different tools, right? bucketing them into a category, right? Like this is the best for small business. This is the best for people who care about customer support. Those kinds of things, like guiding somebody into figuring out which one might be the best for them. That's another way you can make it unique. Whereas everyone's just listing up, here's 10 and here's the description. And I'm number one. (laughs) Yeah. And of course we're number one. Classic. (laughs) I'm not above that, man. I'll do that all day too for no and i think that's that's legit though too because they're going to come to your site you can put it and and people will know and i don't think you and i think a lot of people get a little shy about that they're like well it's not going to be like you're still doing the work like you should still be rewarded that is it's kind of like asking for the sale right like you you Mm -hmm. can put that there they know it's a sales call they know they're there for the thing but if you can seem reasonably objective and still they walk around walk away you know with some good value you're not going to like be like oh we're the best at x and if you're not well you probably shot yourself in the foot anyway but um but yeah if you're if you're i like i like the bucket idea too because you know we all see it from our lens as a as a as SaaS founders like we see the 50 competitors but in the eyes of the customer most likely those aren't the 50 competitors they're looking at two or three and even if they come in in a different channel or a different angle. And you're like, oh, well, you're a small business. Actually, we're not a good fit for you, but you should talk to these guys. And maybe when you grow up, you can come come back to us. Um, or that, you know, they're very specific towards another angle and you can just 
help them with the knowledge you have to to divide these up because rarely are they actually shopping 50 tools. No one wants to show right. 50 tools. Exactly. Yeah. And if you, you know, you lie about it, they're going to churn on the back end anyway. So. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. So like as a small company, you know, I just got product market fit starting out. What is kind of the, like the muscle memory that we need to be able to like to win, right? Like, is it kind of like, you know, review the numbers, publish content, get backlinks, review the numbers, publish content, get backlinks. Is that the, is that the cycle or is there more to it? Yeah. I mean, you know, you're going to have to start somewhere, right? So that that's the process. Once you've created, you know, decent amount of content, look at what's converting and go find more topics related to that, you know, whatever long tail and keep trying to win in that category. Uh, But in the beginning, it's like, where I always like to start is, uh, and the guys over at Grow and Convert, Benji and Davish, they coined pain point SEO, which, you know, it's been around forever, but they they did the smart thing in naming it. Basically, you find the pain that you're solving for and create content around that. And so it's Mm -hmm. like, before someone even knows about the solutions, what is like the pain they're trying to solve? And so... um, Good example of this. I had a client last year and imagine, imagine zoom, but for movie studios and gaming companies, right? So the whole world goes remote and these people who use these really powerful tools like avid pro tools and Maya and all this stuff, you know, you're the, I'm the editor, you're the director. We're trying to, to like finish up this, whatever it's still. And I've added a clip and you tell me, stop right there. We need to edit it. You know, Zoom and all these things, there's like this latency. It takes like a couple seconds for whatever for for you to get to me. And, it, it, you know, the resolution is terrible and stuff. Like you need me to stop and I need to stop right there. So there's this tool that I was working with and nobody knew that it existed. Everyone's just searching for how do I stream Avid Pro Tools over Zoom? How do I stream Maya over Zoom? And so that was the big pain point. And so we created a bunch of these articles describing like the hard way to do it. You know, you need this hardware and this, basically all these terrible workarounds that no one is ever going to really use. And then we position them as like, this is the easy way to do it. Mm -hmm. So, and that ended up being like 25% of the leads the company did off the blog was just from these articles that had no search volume, you know, like six, seven word long tail keywords that no one, you know, most people would sleep on because you're not going to find them in the keyword tools and end up being just like the best in terms of leads. You know, they get quality customers from them. And so it was just going off of like this pain people had and they didn't even know the solution. And so that's Mm -hmm. where I usually like to start after you've, you know, you've covered the alternatives and the verses and all the, all the stuff that everyone knows to start with. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So what, what would you say is like kind of the minimum bulk of content you would need to kind of get started? Like, is this like, you know, 10 articles? Is this like a hundred? Like assuming they're all written well and targeted properly and all that sort of thing. Or is that yeah. like a, a bad question? Like that you're not allowed to ask? <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's a fair question. I think a lot of people have it. Uh, the answer is, is the worst part. Cause it's, it's, <laughs> what all SEO say, and it all, it's, it depends, right? And so yeah. I'll tell you why it depends. There's companies I've worked with where their domain rating, right? If you're familiar with domain rating, it's like 
you know, what, how strong is your domain based on the links it's gotten from other companies. If you have a high domain rating, like literally we can create 10 to 20 articles and in a month or two, you're ranking on, on page one for those. You're just like, there's some sites that they're just big and they haven't implemented SEO and you just start and boom, 10 articles, you're, you're starting to see traffic go up. Mm-hmm. If you're earlier, let's say, you know, you're a DR20 or whatever, you just, your, your mountain to climb is higher. The, the trust signals or whatever that Google looks at to be like, all right, let's start showing this, this company in search results more regularly and more often. It just takes longer and more content. You have to build that expertise out. So if you're a, a smaller SaaS, I'd probably say like, I don't know, you know, we, we, the smallest plan, you know, that we do for, for our clients is like, we'll do four articles a month. And I'd say you need to be doing that for like six months before you can really analyze how things are going. So what is that? 20, 25, yeah, yep. 24. So that's probably a good place to start before you're like, all right, how is our program performed and what else we need to do? Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. That's kind of neat to know. Cause like, as someone on the outside, it's like, who knows, you know, wait till numbers start coming in. Right. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. I've got like a lot more questions, but I think Josh wants to ask a few. Sure, sure. No, I, I did want to dive in on the, you know, you mentioned links and we talked about backlinks, but one of the ones that I often think about, and there's probably not a lot of, you know, straight up definitive advice on, but I do want to hear your thoughts on like internal linking and processes for that to keep those to keep those you know fresh and and how you guys go about that because it's one of these tangled things where like you were talking about uh for you know if you're on a plan of four articles a month produced it's then you also have to go back and are you linking in between them later like how how do you think about internal linking uh it's important and you should do it like it's, it's just part of our process where in editing, after it's been written, we're internally linking to two to four relevant articles or pages on the site. And usually what you want to do is stick within um, the same topic if you can. So, you know, this is what SEOs call like hub and spoke or topic cluster kind of things. And there's some merit to it. I think it's, you know, if you're writing about how to cook steak dinner and you link to something about, uh, I don't know, how to bake, right? It's less relevant than uh, how do you sear a steak or how do you sous vide a steak, right? They're all like related. You know, if you go on Wikipedia, you see the same thing. They link to things that are closely related. And so Google looks at it. It's important. It's kind of just part of our process. As we're editing articles, we add them in. And then at some point, like, let's say we've started with somebody who, you know, in the beginning, there's not a lot of content. Like usually what we'll do is we'll, we'll do an audit, like three to six months down the road. What are these pages that basically don't have a lot of internal links going to them that are super important to us? And we'll just go back and, and add those links in. Do you ever try to do any, like, yeah, if you're, if you're looking at an article that's important and, I would say, you know, people throw around the word like link juice, right? Like (laughs) things coming in and just saying like, okay, let's say it gets a hundred points coming into the first article. And then the next article after that, you know, gets like a, 
you know, there's a 50 point drop and you sort of are getting some credit or lesser credit from, you know, backlinks coming in. The, how often do you think about kind of restructuring those or moving those things around? Or is that sort of getting too, too, I guess, too specific and too trying to hacky in terms of trying to optimize and trying to signal Google to, hey, I really, really want to, I'm on page one, but I really want to get to number one on that on that keyword term. Yeah, I think at that point, you'd probably benefit more from external backlinks. Like if you're on page one, uh, I and you know, this is super unscientific. Like I don't have yeah, a sure. large case study, but uh, I would say getting external backlinks are going to move the needle more once you're on page one than like going and adding a bunch of internal links. Sometimes what you'll see maybe with internal links is you have a page that's like not even ranking in the top. It's, it's nowhere. Like what's going on with it. Then you might try mm-hmm. to put some internal links to it to help it even get on Google's radar. Just get it, you know, show Google that you care about this page more. But usually once you're on page one, I don't think, unless you're a big, big site, that pointing more internal links is going to be a big lever at that point. Good. Fair enough. Cool. Um, yeah, one of the ones I know we talked about a little bit earlier, touched on this with Nate, but what are your uh, off-the-cuff thoughts about programmatic SEO? Uh, I've only heard about it. You know, I'm not a super, uh, like I have not a bone in my body that knows code or anything. Actually, no, you know what? I can, I can add some HTML. I know ahref, I know bold <laughs> and ul and li's. So I won't say I know nothing, but basically nothing. Uh, I've seen people create amazing sites with it. And now that like, you know, there's AI, I feel like that's even faster and more powerful. Uh, it's tough. You see these sites that are programmatically built, launch thousand plus pages at once and they like go nuts for a couple months and then Google finds them and they're done. And then you see some that there's like a slower, steadier process and they rake, they do like, you know, five figure revenue every single month. Uh, I don't know. People are starting to like put out courses and talk about it more, but I haven't, you know, I'm old school. I'm just like, let's find good writers and just insert the process and, you know, find a VA to Rivstock didn't done. have much on the programmatic side. I would think with a marketplace, those are sort of ripe for using listings as SEO type of uh, attracting points. Yeah. So, man, if you're going up against Zillow, Redfin, Realtor, like trying to get address addresses indexed and stuff, you have like no chance. Those sites are just so mm-hmm. massive. Zillow and Redfin will, will own those for the, the end of time. And the thing with Roofstock is at the time, you know, you're basically listing a property up and then a couple months after it's sold, you're taking it down. Whereas Zillow, Redfin, they have a vested interest in keeping all these pages indexed and everything for mm-hmm. for people to like, you know, search for that address, land, and then, you know, that's like- Or their, search for their own house. They just keep going like, oh, what's the value of my house? What's the value exactly, of my house? What's exactly, exactly. <laughs> and you sign up and you get the alerts and all that stuff. So they have, you know, a good mousetrap there. But for Roofstock, it wasn't as valuable to index those. And it's, you know- from like a managing all those pages, it's expensive if there's not really any like business value that you can like tie it to. So never did that. Right. Right. Cool. Yeah. I really liked your, uh, you, you mentioned, I think it was, what'd you say? Pain point SEO. And, um, 
that kind of framework or thinking about finding these lower volume keywords that actually drive like real leads. So yeah, kind of a, a two part question here, which is one, um, are, are there any other techniques you're thinking about that you've come across these lower volume, you know, high intent types of keywords? And second one is within your consultancy, uh, is that something people high hold you to a standard of uh, in terms of like MQL generation, or is it more about, you know, getting SEO rankings? Like what, what do they use to sort of measure you and how in depth do you get into, into their business side? Like leads are kind of, I would say tilting more into the business side than just saying, Hey, I'm getting vanity metrics for you on page views. And we got this pay that we got this keyword ranked to, you know, you know, top three in the SERPs or something like that. Right. Um, I usually tell people when we're having those conversations, like, don't worry about the traffic number. Like, this is a channel to get you more leads and customers. Like, that's that's really what matters. Like, I can grow you from zero to 50,000 page views and you'll get no customer. Like, I'll just go find easy to rank for, you know, song lyrics, something. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Terms that don't really matter, whatever. You know, just like two broad terms that like, People are just, they're not looking for solutions yet. They're just broad terms. People doing research and you'll get more traffic that way, but like it's not going to do anything for your business. So I always try to pitch it as like, look, this is a a channel for you to grow the business. It doesn't really matter how many page views you get. It's really about like how many leads, how many customers are we driving? Usually, you know, they kind of go in lockstep. Like it's hard to only grow from like zero to a thousand and make a dent, right? Like you need, you need traffic to like ultimately convert, but um, if the traffic number is going up and leads and revenue aren't going up, I'm not doing my job. So, and then what was the, what was the first part of your question? Yeah. And any other secret squirrel techniques <laughs> that you found on finding these high intent, high, high lead, uh, attraction types of keywords and pages. Yeah. So the other thing I like to just do or look at or ask the marketing person or talk to customers about is like, what? what were you doing before you figured out this solution? And a lot of times people will tell you, you know, there's all these tools that basically have automated away a spreadsheet. And so they'll tell you, Oh, I used to do X, Y, Z in a spreadsheet or whatever. And so like you get a bunch of good spreadsheet and template ideas from those. Um, So that's the question I, I I think leads to tons of good ideas is like, what were you doing before you, you knew this was even a solution? What were you doing before you used XYZ. Right, right. Is that commonplace that you get access to customers or are you mostly like working with them, another marketing person that has access to customers or do they go, hey, Emil, here's like, here's, here's our, uh, here's, here's 20 customers. Go, go, feel free to go pick their brain. No, it's, it's rare that someone unleashes me on their customers. <laughs> to be honest with you, I don't want to go do 20 customer interviews. I've, I'm just like, if they have it, I'm like, you need to go do them. They're going to help us. Like I can, I can get started with initial stuff. There's also like, man, with G2, they basically asked this. I think they asked this question for you now. There's something about mm-hmm. like, what did you do before? Or some, something that basically gives this answer now. And so with like online reviews and testimonials and things, you get a lot of those things answered if you just, you know, do your homework and go through as much of those materials as you possibly can. Right. Yeah. There's definitely a lot out there that people can sift through to figure out what these pain points, figure out these, 
intent or either uh, what do they call them? Like signals that start start your search, that type of right. stuff. Or even well, just talking to the sales team, right? Like the sales team talks to potential customers, customer success talks to customers, right? Like they have a lot of these insights that they're not, you know, documenting in a wiki or anywhere. So that that is much easier for me to talk to a salesperson or customer success than, mm-hmm. you know, being unleashed on customers. Nate, did you have something? You were uh, about to interject a, a second ago. Yeah, I forgot what I was going to say now. Okay, no worries. Um, other questions. So, you know, there's thousands of audit tools out there. Um, what are the tools you kind of rely on? Because you can probably, every every tool out there has its own point of view, right? So some things will say, you know, H1s need to match titles. Another one will say, your H1s aren't matching your titles. Like it's, and some, there's some, one is a green check mark and one is a red X. So are there other tools you kind of ha- hold higher on a level of trust for, for audit purposes, for, you know, those types of things, or is it sort of a continuum and I use X tool for this and Y tool for, you know, something else? Yeah. So uh, we'll start with the gold standard HRFs. I mean, I, probably the only tool I use every single day uh, for keyword research, for looking at the landscape, seeing what competitors are doing. Um, I mean, I I just live in Ahrefs. Any SEO is just going to live in Ahrefs. Uh, I've never even, you know, SEMrush is probably the the only tool I know that's on their heels. It's funny because when I started doing marketing, they weren't even really seen as an SEO tool. It was, you know, search engine marketing, which is more like PPC and AdWords and stuff. So I've never even used it for SEO. Ahrefs is is awesome, and most SEOs use that. And I I think we'll we'll give that as their their winner. Uh, other tools I use. So I used to use this. I used this tool called Topic, which was kind of like a clear scope competitor, where it's like the greater right, like how many of the relevant keyword. You know, it'll it'll look through the top ten uh, articles on page one, tell you what keywords you should be using, right? It's more of a guide for thoroughness than like use these keywords and you'll have an A plus score and you'll be the best, mm-hmm. right? Like that's that's less about what it is and more about like what are the different topics you need to cover to make sure that your piece is as thorough as everything on page one. Uh, but the thing I really love about that tool is it's more of like x-ray vision into the SERPs for that. So like, let's say my keyword is accounting software it'll show me all the H2s and H3s, so basically an outline for everything that's on page one. And so that's really helpful for me as I'm making a brief for a writer to like see, okay, what is everyone covering? What are some of the things, where, where are the gaps? What are people talking about? What are they missing? You know, Usually you'd have to go in and click through every single thing and like do it yourself. This kind of gives you X-ray into H2s and H3s. That makes the brief creation process really simple. So uh, I like topic for brief creation. I say, uh, like I used to use, but I still use, they are now, they got bought by this um, company called Cafe Media, uh, which they're basically like an ad network. I use that ad network, so I still get access to the tool, luckily. Um, but you can use, I think ClearScope mm-hmm. now has something similar where you can like create briefs and outlines and stuff. Uh, and Bernard, who who heads that company up, he's he's a good good guy and always making additions to the tools. There's like, phrase and surfer SEO, they kind of all do the same. 
think you just got to pick the one that kind of works for you and your workflow and, and topic, which is, you know, now if you're an AdThrive user, you still get access, but that's the one I use. Other than that, that's it. Okay. That, those are like the, the main tools I use for our process. Everything else is just, you know, lives in Trello, uh, Todoist, whatever, just kind of project management stuff. What yep, about you know, from a CMS side? You probably don't, I would assume you don't get much choice in that, right? It's sort of like the clients mostly have something already, but uh, CMS thoughts? Yeah, I mean, for me, WordPress is just like the best. Uh, I feel like everyone either uses, I, I, a lot of SaaS companies now, they're on Webflow. Webflow is like, just see more and more people on Webflow. Um which isn't bad from like an SEO perspective, Webflow sites perform fine. Like I, I wouldn't say it's like there's a detriment to being on Webflow. It's just like as a user and uh, me, like actually going uploading, con- you know, our team uploading content and all that stuff. It's not as user friendly as WordPress, but you know, it's fine. But yeah, I don't, I don't get much say. It's like the client uses this, their whole site's built <laughs> on it. Like I just got to run with it. So yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Maybe just I'm a old school WordPress person. Just the just the number of like plugins and different things. And yeah. of course, you can get yourself into big trouble with in terms of way too many plugins and undropped. You know, having all kinds of other conflicts. But right. it's like a it's more of a power tool for it for me. And then the fact that there are yeah, just and and the way other plugins are coming in to do things that are nice on. Webflow, which is really more on the design side, right? And it's like, uh, like we use Elementor and stuff like that. That just not as good, but pretty, pretty darn good, pretty close. And how often are you changing, you know, all the elements on your homepage rather than, you know, day to day in there with your CMS types of stuff? At least from an SEO perspective, right? Exactly. Like I'm hopping in there, you know, once, twice a week to upload content that we're done. So, cool, cool. Uh, another question I've had, and just love to hear your opinion on this, but how do you, what do you think about the weight of like brand queries in terms of how that affects SEO? Like people searching for the name, uh, you know, Nate had a product called product sonar. It was like having that, how, how much that comes up in queries and how you, how you think about how Google thinks about it. I think it matters for sure. Uh, it's harder to fake that. And it's a clear sign, I think, to Google that you are a reputable brand if a bunch of you are searching for your brand name. Um, you know, there was this really, really interesting case study by everyone's favorite marketer, Neil Patel, like seven, eight years ago. Uh, he basically, he had all these Instagram models post who is Neil Patel on their Instagram, like a sign that said, who is Neil Patel? And he was mm-hmm. testing the hypothesis that most people searching for his brand name, his site, Neil Patel, is going to just boost his SEO across the board. And so he had paid a bunch of these, you know, Instagram models with big followings, post who is Neil Patel sign, and a bunch of people started searching for Neil Patel, and he showed the results. And you know, again, this was seven, eight years ago, but it was clear that he saw like rankings and improvements across the board from people searching for more people searching for his brand name. So that was kind of like the the case study that stuck out in my mind when you asked that question. Even though it's by somebody nobody, you know, 
a lot of marketers don't like, I think you can at least learn something from his, his little studs. Yeah, no, I, 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 I remember him saying that for a long time early on. And I was just like, really? I don't know how important that is that, right? It's just, but I remember him saying, I think he's been saying it for years, just how important the brand query, uh, the brand query was to just signal to Google brand authority, or just like you said, it, you can't, it's much more challenging to fake that. Although, you know, he found, he found a hack in there, but <laughs> that's pretty cool. So, right. Cool. Um, let's see. One of the other ones I did want to ask, I mean, it's hard not to talk about like AI and G- GPT three and chat GPT and all of that type of thing. So, um, any takes on how you think that's going to affect SEO? Uh, man, I am so bad at hot takes and like <laughs> guessing the future. I'll tell you this. I use it for things that I disliked. Writing meta descriptions, coming up with uh, different titles under 60 characters, right? That will fit in the SEO title. So it's it's good way to like come up with ideas but it is not a person who has had real experience, which is what my goal. It's a little bit harder with company content. You know, companies like shy away from I, me, like content that's like written in first person, which I think is the best content. And if I had a hot take, it's that you should include as much I, me, and we as possible because that is clear that it was a person that had experience with this thing versus, you know, AI doesn't say that. It has no experience. It can regurgitate information or whatever. It can find other information and like spit something out, but it has no experience, firsthand experience to speak of. Um, So for me, that's like long-term. How do you kind of shield yourself trying to inject as much anecdote and personal experience as you possibly can for the reader? No, I like that. I haven't heard anyone say that before in terms of, but that makes a lot of sense. Like if if you think about what Google was trying to do years ago, just, I think they were trying to do stuff around like authors and that, I don't think that really quite flew just like around trying to give credit to the people, maybe after their Google plus debacle, who knows, but, (laughs) um, but, but it's has probably come back in another form of just like, we're just really looking for people to, you know, are going to, again, have, have an authority or speak from a, from a point of experience. I think a lot of their stuff around review content and stuff like that is, is kind of directionally pointing towards people as authorities. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, again, just the more you can do that across the board, it's like, you know, you got to remember, I look at search results all the time and like Google is really, really good, but you see all these edge cases where they clearly have blind spots and you're like, Oh yeah, it's just, it's just the machine. Like it, you know, it's a very, very intelligent, but sometimes dumb machine. And so like, if I were to think, Hmm, how could I, as a machine tell if this was written by a human or not, I'd look for I, me, we, and things that show very clearly that this person did this thing, has an experience and is talking about it. So, you know, that's my, my one suggestion or take on, on like AI. Cool. Cool. Nate, did you have any other uh, questions starting out from thinking from a, not, I'm not calling you a beginner, but, <laughs> but a earlier, <laughs> an earlier SAS uh, SEO person or uh, any other questions in that, in that area that could, yeah. could help our broader audience. 
you can call me a beginner. That's totally fine. I'll own that. <laughs> um, I guess I, just one question would be um, for you're talking about getting writers to do like you give them a brief and then they 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 get a professional writer to do it up. Um, is that something that you'd uh, highly recommend, or is it something where you know if it's more of a time thing? It's like if uh, if a founder had the time to do it, that they could do it themselves. Oh, that's a tough. I mean. If you can write the content, I think it'll always, if you can write and you have the time, it'll be better than what an external person can create. The <laughs> only thing I would advise is you get someone to help you kind of structure it, right? So mm -hmm. that it, it, it is sound from an SEO perspective, like here's how to structure, here's the things you need to make sure you answer, but within the content, you know, go crazy and do it however you want. Um, I think you will get it. If you can write well and you have the time, you will create a better end product with some guidance. Yeah. Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah. That time thing is a big, is a yeah. big challenge. Exactly. <laughs> and that's why exactly. that you got brought in, right? Like a lot of times it's like, exactly. Hey, uh, Emil's done the reps. He knows what he's talking about. It's like, I can, I can trade money for time <laughs> and essentially uh, bring in an expert to come in and help me not have to stub my toe and take a hundred, 500, 1,000 reps to get to where you are. It's not saying that founders aren't capable of these things. It's just they also have other potential things to worry about. And, you know, someone like Emil has done this plenty of times and can come in as that hired sword to just go in and, and, and do the job and knows how to do it and is a pretty pretty honed and, and uh, at that craft, I'd say, right? Right, right. It's like, you know, you could learn to cut your grass, do all your landscaping, you know, figure out how to, the right pH balance for your pool, all that stuff. Or you pay somebody who comes in and that's what they do and they're good at it. And like, you know, you move on. That's a terrible example, but I like that one. It's all right. Like the caveat I would add is like, I, I, I still like cutting my own lawn and it's funny as everyone makes fun of me for it, but they're like, why don't you, I was like, it's actually a break in the day. I work from yeah. home. I get on my little, you know, I don't have a, ton of land but it's like I, I get on my little riding mower and it takes me half an hour and it's <laughs> I, I put on my headphones it's a podcast i listen to a podcast and i like take a brain break for the day and get outside so yeah um but but i enjoy it not everyone does right there's people right. that loathe it and just don't want to be out there and right. don't want you know might have allergies or for whatever reason and yeah you know for the same reasons SEO, I kind of like it, but I'm not going to spend time writing all the content, but at the same time, I like the, the operational side. I like trying to, I wouldn't say outthink Google, but trying to think like Google right, <laughs> and the user right. intent and all of that stuff. And that's kind of fun. So, Yeah. Yeah. It, it's cathartic for you, right? It's not a chore. It's like, I hear you. You get out and doing something with your hands, which I mean, all of us just live on a computer. Like it's, <laughs> good for all of us to have like that physical thing we do. I need to find mine. Children, that's mine. My kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we all have that too. I know Nate Nate has his what do you have now? Four? No, three. Three. Dang. So I'm uh, I'm at two and I'm like, my wife could go for a third. I am done. Uh, third kids is so <laughs> third is way harder than two. But apparently it, four is easier. So I, the only thing for <laughs> no, not yet. The, the only thing I've heard changes at four is 
you really do need to rethink your your car situation because three you can get mm. away with like you know even a station wagon and whatnot but that's where you have to you have to go full minivan then it, unless you already have so uh bite the bullet and go full minivan it's like uh, <laughs> it's a it's a it's a storage container on wheels <laughs> Dude, minivans I've, i i don't think anyone has ever wanted a minivan and then they have kids that are like oh it's just so uh, practical and like it's like so easy for them to get in and out and put all their stuff in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, companies are trying to make minivans like not so ugly and terrible. So mm-hmm. they're yeah, making them they better. Got, oh yeah, totally. They got so many features. And like, if you want to feel manly, you could put a whole sheet of plywood in the back. It's basically, it's <laughs> basically like a better truck. Make sure you have a roof rack and a tow hitch. Mm-hmm. Then you can be like, yeah, it's all right. But I use it for other things too. So. <laughs> cool. All right. Uh, well, wrapping up, Emil, I did want to ask a couple other things. So you, I think you also have some niche sites, right? You're kind of tinkering yourself, like putting your money where your mouth is in terms of that and, and some affiliate niche sites, things like that. Um, wouldn't mind hearing a little bit about that. And uh, also, if you, I know we led with the podcast thing, but if you wanted to tell any other updates regarding podcasting yourself, love to hear them. Yeah. So that's right. I, about a year and a half ago, you know, I started seeing through Twitter, searching on the internet late one night, as we all do and get weird ideas. Like people were making money off just site, you know, people were showing how much money they're making off sites with a ton of traffic and running display ads or affiliate stuff. And it was like, huh, I have all the processes and playbooks in place. I'm doing it for clients. You know, I've always, you know, telling you I bought rental properties and stuff. So I I like investing and owning assets. Like, why am I not just doing the same thing for myself and building these sites? And, you know, there's marketplaces popping up where you can sell them. Like they're, they're legit assets now to have a content site. And so, uh, you know, I started my first one year and a half ago, six months later, acquired one from a friend, started a new one a couple months ago. So, you know, uh, treating them as like a bunch of little different projects. Some people just focus on one and build this one and kind of make it a brand and, you know, like a small media empire. Some people just, you know, it's like really just an SEO play and you just build them up and they make money for a period of time. Hopefully Google doesn't come and squash your business. And uh, so, yeah, I have a couple sites that I, I manage and operate and everything. And it's very similar playbook. The only difference is, is on those sites, we can chase eyeballs and make money. Whereas for clients, we got to really think about like what's going to drive quality traffic, leads, revenue. Um, you know, in the content world, that's like affiliate. What are the what are the articles that are going to bring people that are looking for a product, and you can recommend affiliate stuff. So, yeah, you know, it, it's this nice symbiotic relationship where doing the client stuff kind of helps with the content sites and vice versa, right? We're learning together in a way it's like right. well, i can learn you can experiment from- on your own stuff versus on client stuff and then be like hey i tried this this works versus hanging them potentially out on a limb exactly. <laughs> or you discover something interesting that works for a client You're like hmm maybe i'll try that over online so. exactly usually it's the other way around it's usually like i'm gonna push the envelope more on my own sites like with client right. stuff we're like gonna be very careful and just do stuff that we know has worked for years um but yeah it's a good way to kind of learn and and flex the muscle on both sides and you know, as much as I, I love delivering for clients, it's good to have, you know, your own assets and things that you own. I think it's just something 
more people should have. I think Josh got a little taller when you said that. <laughs> uh, yeah, assets is a big trend for me, and, and and we should probably track how many times I say that uh, during during podcasts. So, I mean, you know, like my my consulting my agency is not really an asset, right? It's a it's a good cash flow business, but there's nothing really to sell. I don't have a team in place. We don't have like special software or anything, right? It's like people hire us. We you know sell in time for money, but the asset gets to kind of build and compound and and separate that. So, you know, make money through the service business and build up assets. It's kind of how I'm doing it right now. Unless you hire some Instagram models and they all go around <laughs> saying, uh, you know, who is Emil Shore or yeah, what's, what what's the name of your agency content? again? It's Catalyst Content. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. I should try that because I'm like, I'm like number four for Catalyst Content right now. There's like, you know, I should have done a little bit more research before. You want to know? You want to know how I came up with Catalyst Content? The domain was available. Shop, Shopify's business name generator. I threw in like, oh yeah, you know, it tells you what do you do. I just wrote like content, and uh, they just spit out all these derivations. I think one was Content Catalyst. I was like, hey, Catalyst Content sounds kind of cool. And then I, that's the story. That's how it came that's about. Okay, hey. simple, cool. Oh yeah, and. Uh podcasting any any anything there oh yeah so um thank you thank you for the shout out so i just started a podcast with a good buddy of mine andrew febert he is the ceo of lasso he started a couple podcasts and sites listen money matters gift lab things like that so he's he's a a veteran i would say in, in building these these types of content sites and we just decided to launch a podcast kind of talking about our sites what's working for clients you know what's working in seo and content um and yeah it's kind of so we just launched the podcast it's called seeking profit we're mainly on youtube trying to trying to make youtube a thing uh, you know before before we hit record josh nate and i were talking about uh you know youtube growth man the, youtube is like making a comeback i swear it's been around forever but like i don't know it's it's such a crazy platform like i feel like it's a gold rush now again which is weird for a platform that's been around for so long yeah I listened to I listened to episode one of your podcast. Great, uh, great work there, and I, I would highly recommend it to people who are interested in SEO. Thanks, cool. dude. I appreciate that. Yeah, and coincidentally enough, we didn't. I didn't before uh, your podcast or before you even launched it. Like we asked you to be a guest on probably a month or so ago before even this other stuff was public knowledge. So That's this right. means essentially, you know, don't, we we don't really take pitches very well we we usually do all our own outreach for people on the podcast although we have taken maybe one or two but usually they were friends <laughs> so um but anyway yeah congrats on the launch and you know thanks for coming on and dropping some seo knowledge and talking to us about seo for SaaS and how that could help other people yeah man thank you guys for having me i i haven't been a podcast guest in like years so you know you guys make me feel like i'm a somebody so thank you <laughs> awesome all right thanks we'll see you around see See you guys hey thanks for joining us today if you want to chat with us we're on twitter i'm at nate bosher and josh is at j logic if you're a new listener uh, check out some of our most popular episodes episode 52 seven years to 22 mrr and zombie startups or episode 30 review sites are a necessary evil and hacks to get around them Thanks again.